My friends, the great experiment. Down on the Lord, thanks. Thanks. Hit it. Trink, trink. Would you look at that? The greatest trink, trink. You people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star trink, trink. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harris. I'm Adam Pranica. Go warp yourself, Adam. A double warp yourself to you too, man. What the hell? <laughs> what did I do to you? You said that to me right before we recorded, and I felt like I was on my heel from the jump. I gotta defend myself. This is the new Ben. This is bold Ben. Nerves are a little frayed, clearly. <laughs> They're afraid because I can't remember the last week where we had to record five episodes. This is number two of five. So as you listen to Greatest Trek, the inaugural episodes of Greatest Trek, just listen and delight as the quality nosedives right right off the bat. Yes, that is affirmed. We are in a dive. We are in a dive. <laughs> See if you can detect when our descent into begins. I'm going to say it's around episode four. I'm feeling a good amount of energy at the moment. Okay. All right. All right. Buddy, you said you had an idea for uh, for something to talk about during the Marin. I do. And it could optimistically <laughs> turn into a regular segment. Wait a second. Optimism? <laughs> I don't know if we could do this more than once because my idea is the lowest deck. <laughs> because I want to know, Ben, what your lowest deck is. What is the worst experience at the lowest job you've ever had? Everyone's got these stories. There are podcasts made of these stories. But I'm not sure if you've shared a story as specifically prompted as that before. Every day isn't going to be some pristine exploratory adventure. Sometimes it's work and it sucks. Get used to it. Well, let me think. I mean, I'd say that the worst job I ever had was my restaurant job where I was a busboy. And that was both gross, physically demanding, and ended with a great deal of indignity because I was fired in the middle of dinner service in front of the entire restaurant. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I would say maybe my lowest deck of my filmmaking career was one time when I got a PA job on a feature film, like an indie feature that was getting ready to shoot in New York. And they wanted a firehouse as one of the locations. Uh -huh. There was one that they were like pretty interested in in Brooklyn but they weren't sure if the like metal factory facility across the street was going to be too noisy for sound. And to judge whether it was too noisy for sound, what they decided was needed was uh, several hours worth of just video footage of what goes on at the metal facility during the day. And for some reason, I had volunteered that I owned a camera and this was my HVX 200. There's nothing a, a metal worker enjoys more than having their work observed by Benjamin R. Harrison holding a camera. Well, so what they had me do was take like a folding chair, a tripod, and my camera. They did not pay me a rental fee for this camera. And I was too stupid to, to know I should ask for them because I was, you know, I was young and dumb. And they sent me out to like a very industrial slash rundown part of Brooklyn 
that was full of very scary people and sex workers. And they had me set up my tripod pointing at the metalworking facility and sit across the street from there for like four hours. They, they were like, yeah, don't leave for four hours. I don't understand this task. I think back on it and I'm like, they were idiots to ask for this. It was dangerous of them to ask me to do it. Uh, <laughs> like, like they put themselves in a ton of risk liability wise if I'd been hurt or somebody had robbed me. Do you feel like it was one of those job dares where they wanted you to quit? <laughs> I don't I don't know. I mean, like at the end of the day, there were a couple of moments where I was a little nervous because somebody, you know, seemed to be up to no good or wanted to know what I was doing out there with a camera. But mostly it was just tremendously boring. I got a bad sunburn from sitting out there all day. Well, probably made worse by your cutting of all those limes. Mm, yeah. Throughout the afternoon. So I think that may have been my lowest of decks. How about you, Adam? Do you have a lowest deck? That's a pretty low deck. Your lowest deck is just like when you agreed to do a podcast with me. <laughs> what I'm hoping to get at through this segment is maybe an agreement about the shared qualities of such a circumstance. And what I'm hearing from your story that I think is shared with mine is like when it's public somehow, that's when your deck gets especially low. Right. Like when you're doing something shitty and everyone's watching and you've got to do it. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. I'm thinking of my of my lowest deck being in my job at the grocery store and I think it just involves like I wasn't told to do something shitty. It's that I was told to do something that I didn't know how to do and I did it anyway. <laughs> so for a long time I worked at a grocery store bagging groceries and getting carts and for a time I worked in the uh, in the China Express department where you'd get americanized chinese food from the grocery store uh and I'd also like slice deli meats and stuff. I could work anywhere in the deli section of the store. <laughs> but I got rotated out into the dairy department. Mm. And uh Dairy was pretty cool because it got you off the floor and behind where you could stock things by putting things down the the little uh, slippery shelves and your tub yeah. of cottage cheese would slide to the front. Oh man, what a fantasy to go back there. And like everything was faced. Like one of the great technologies of this was like when you have inventory, your aisles look amazing because everything <laughs> is slid to the front. Yeah. So I'm in the milk section and I'm stocking half gallons. <laughs> Frank is on half <laughs> In the milk cooler, it's a bunch of pallets, wooden pallets, and milk crates like you've seen records kept in for time in Mimirium. <laughs> and there are four half gallons to a single milk crate, maybe even six. You know what? For the purposes of the story, there are definitely six half gallons <laughs> in these milk crates. And you can imagine how heavy they are, right? So, 16-year-old Adam is, if you can believe it, skinnier <laughs> than he is today. And all, all six feet, 140 pounds of him are taking these crates of milk from a height over my head, yeah, like bringing them down to my level, like dropping them on a lifted knee, right, and then taking them all the way down to the floor for loading. And when you need to get a stack of milk from an area on top of these pallets, you're given a hook. Right. 
not unlike a hay bale hook. It's a little bit longer. So what you do is you uh, you hook the bottom milk crate and you drag it across the pallet. But you know what a pallet looks like, Ben. A pallet is not a smooth surface. A pallet is a bunch of wooden slabs with space in the middle. So if you aren't dragging those milk crates right across yeah. the pallet, your crate is going to catch and that stack is going to tip. Ugh. And what happens is 40 gallons of 2% <laughs> milk almost hit you, but you dodge out of the way and you watch this tower fall. What happened? The containers you were checking fell on you. You're lucky to be alive. Like, what happened to the Tower 7 of milk, Ben? Mm. It's like other towers of milk started falling. It was a nightmare back there. It looked like a controlled demolition, but jet fuel can't melt plastic crates. It was outrageous. The sound was <laughs> awful. The sound of plastic and plastic full of milk hitting wood and splitting. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> the growing pool of milk at the bottom of the walk-in cooler. A pool so enormous, you just couldn't avoid it. Your socks are getting wet inside your shoes. Walking out to the middle manager that you need to tell because you've <laughs> never been confronted with a problem like this. Yeah. Idiot Adam is like, what do you do with a mess this size? There's no floor squeegee big enough to, to squeege this into the drain. <laughs> no, of course not. Uh, I remember when we used to have a hit war movie podcast, yeah! it took a lot of convincing for you to ever watch Three Kings because of yeah. the milk crash scene. You, yeah. You were so traumatized. Yeah. I probably told a version of this story over there. <laughs> I, I waited out of the walk-in, found the first manager I could find, told them what happened, and he... <laughs> I'm going to tell you that he laughed at me, but I don't want you to feel bad for me in that moment because I think laughter was actually the perfect reaction to this because I was freaked out and I didn't know what to do and I failed to see the absurdity of what had happened <laughs> the way that my manager did. And by laughing at me and what I had done, it kind of diffused some really bad feelings that I had had. He's like, man, it's okay. Uh, it happens. Here's what you do. He directed me for the tools for such a giant spill cleanup. And I worked back there for like the next several hours cleaning up that cooler. Oh, man. The upside being I was kept off the floor where mm -hmm. any good manager would know to keep me. Uh-huh. The downside being you smelled like a hunk of Limburger cheese when you left work that day. You throw away <laughs> your shoes after a shift like that, Ben. Yeah, you got to. <laughs> Wow. Well, let's see if we want to throw away this episode after a review. What do you say, Adam? It's Star Trek Lower Decks, Season 3, Episode 2, The Least Dangerous Game. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Let's fly. I'm An episode that begins with Martok speaking directly to camera. Yeah. Doesn't feel like we're experiencing Beej at all, does it? No. He is really fired up about something, and it turns out it's because he's the DDM, the Digital Dungeon Master of a mm. game that Mariner, Tendi, Rutherford, and Boimler are playing called Batliths and Benuchs. I can't believe Martok recorded all this. Do you think he'd be too busy being a chancellor and stuff? <laughs> and I looked up what Benucht meant. Did you look it up? I didn't. Let me know what it means. It means coward. Oh, that's great. Batleths and cowards are what they're playing. 
Do we feel like it's maybe problematic that Boyms is wearing a loaf helmet? Oh, you think this is a, a kind of black loaf situation? <laughs> I don't care what you look like. You are no Klingon! <laughs> yeah, he's, he's in loaf face. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's okay. I think his friend's got to check him at a moment like this. I mean, these are the sort of pictures that would derail a burgeoning political career down the road if these were ever to get out. If Boehm's ever runs for office, you better fucking hope he's still friends with these three. Is it different because it's low face that it's not necessarily the face, that it's like more of a hairpiece? <laughs> yeah, it looks like it's a wig with some loaf staple to the front of it, right? I mean, that kind of makes it better, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> it's a fun uh, twist on Dungeons & Dragons. This is a game where you're trying to die. You're, you're going for an honorable death. That's the goal of the game. I mean, specifically death with honor is what you're after for sure. I love that this show really just never misses an opportunity for there to be a bullock walk somewhere yeah. on screen. Yeah. Uh, this is no exception. Blood, wine, and guac. Delicious. That's what I always have when I'm playing tabletop role-playing adventures. California-class ships have to have the best guac and chips, right? Oh, yeah. You would think. I bet it's the best. Is there a Mexico-class of uh, Starfleet vessel? I mean, that's got to have the best stuff of all. Yeah. The tech of this role-playing game... I'm so envious of the idea that you could roll a <laughs> D20 and it would light up and then that lit up number would automatically transmit what had happened to the pad where Martok is. It's got to keep the game moving so fast. But Adam, I would counter having to charge your die after, yeah. <laughs> after a game. What a pain in the butt. I mean, I bet you just put it on a charging pad, right? You shouldn't have to plug it in. You know what? If it yeah. were an Apple D20, I bet you would. <laughs> Have to fucking plug it in. <laughs> the proprietary connector. <laughs> the, the Apple Magic D20. Uh-huh. It just works. Uh-huh. Uh, but you can't use it while it's plugged in. <laughs> exactly. Mariner is really ground down here. Uh, we learned in the last episode, of course, that she has been tasked to report directly to Ransom, and she is not loving that He's been riding my ass, just waiting for me to break protocol. Boimler also uh, feeling kind of bad in this scene because he learns that the former Ensign Vendome is now Captain Vendome. This is uh, a Bolian character that we did see previously get hit with a spear, and that's how they remind us who he is. Yeah. <laughs> you always remember who gets hit with a spear on this show. Yeah, he just rocketed right up to the top and is now the captain of a uh, of a California-class vessel of his own. Boimler takes great umbrage with this because it does not appear to him that Vendome tries very hard, that this was an incidental field promotion. And Boimler looks at himself and he's like, I try so hard to advance and I get nowhere. And this fucking guy fails up. He spears up. Total bullshit, man. He's the uh, Bolian Peter principle at play. Yeah. Sucks. Tendi makes the case that Vendome is actually more of a risk taker than Boimler because Vendome cultivated a reputation about always saying yes to new experiences in a way that Boimler rarely does. Boimler in 
being so motivated to, you know, enthusiastically pursue the the role of captain will turn things down if he doesn't feel like they further that end. And that's just, Vendome was so indiscriminate. He was a say yes to everything guy. I mean, in Boimler's play in the D&D game is emblematic of this. He is frequently taking the safe path through the dungeon. Yeah. Can't always take the safest path. That's how you wind up a dentist. Ouch. Oh, man. Brutal. Right. <laughs> uh, Mariner's been called away to whatever the staff briefing is, and we don't even see this staff briefing. We just get the voiceover of Commander Ransom as their shuttle descends toward the surface of a planet that has a bunch of space elevators. They're not elevators. They're orbital lifts. This is a uh, planet Delane, and the Delanians are described as a very justice-y type of society. A lot of knuck, a lot of side boob. You know the drill. I thought for sure that the Delanians would have a twin planet. Mm. <laughs> you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna call them back, call them back. Am I making any sense here? Yeah, we didn't see any twins. We just uh, it's just space elevators and people that love to fuck. <laughs> Yeah, that's how I like my sci-fi. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's good stuff. If I'm ordering an episode off the menu. <laughs> so they uh, they put the shuttle in at the top of this malfunctioning space elevator. There's a diplomatic element of this mission and a, a mechanical element. The mechanical element being repair this space elevator. The diplomatic uh, element being, uh, for some reason, delegated to Rutherford and Billups? What? Yeah, Ransom is messing with expectations a little bit, and it really grinds Mariner's gears. Mariner doesn't want to do all this boring wrenching. That's what engineers are for. I don't think it matters who you are. When you hear about how the Delanians are, you want to be a part of that half of the mission. Yeah, it just sounds like the chill hang, and when she looks down through the clouds at the planet, oh man, it just looks gorgeous. I want to go down there. Seems like big fun. The greatest trek is yet to come. Mariner is not the only one experiencing a bum out. Back with Boimler, he's in the bunks telling Tendi how bummed he is about his circumstances compared to Captain Vendome. Yeah. One thing I really love about this show is that I never really know when it's going to zig or when it's going to zag. And I think that it really delights in playing with expectations in that way because Tendi walks in in... A she's like just coming from the showers. She's in a, a towel. Yeah, she's striking poses, and I was like, "Is there something sexy about to happen between Boimler and Tendi?" And I was like, "No, right? They all take showers together because the future, and there's like nothing sexual about this at all." The banality of the nude reminds me of Starship Troopers and that and the scene in that movie where it was just commonplace. To lather them up, no matter who you are. They did that in the episode where like, it looked like Jet was going to replace Boims in season two. God, Jet's so cool. <sighs> I just hope we see some more of him this season, you know? Yeah, a lot more. Kind of surprised he's not the one that got promoted to captain. Instead, it's Vendome who has uh, gone with a ethno-purist recruitment strategy for his bridge crew. Hey, if you're uh, if you're getting a blowjob from Captain Vendome, are you getting Vendome Dome? <laughs> if Captain Vendome had a side hustle as a sex worker, would he be vending Vendome Dome? 
If he were doing that business in the early 90s in Seattle, uh, <laughs> would he be would he be vending Vendome Dome outside the Kingdom? <laughs> I feel like there's still improvisational meat on that bone. Yeah, we're not going to pick it off. No. Some improv comedy vulture can come pick the rest of the meat off that bone. Boimler gets invited to a spring ball game by a total alpha. Yeah. And kind of big dogs the alpha in the way that he says no. Sweaty muscle heads drilling balls at my face? No thanks. But Tendi nudges him towards saying yes. This is another opportunity that you usually turn down, but Boim's... Maybe something cool happens from this. Maybe you make captain by playing spring ball. You got to see the logic in what Tendi is saying. Like, Boims is always wishing he had a bridge buddy, etc. I mean, how else do you make a bridge buddy than making lots of buddies on the ship? This is a red paperclip career, right? Right. You trade spring ball for a Bajoran choir practice. We've got the saddest dirges in the quadrant. <laughs> which then turns into who knows what down the road, which may end up uh, giving him his own commission. I'd say that the path to the captain's chair goes through Lundy, the Dracula man that wants to draw naked boims. I know. Lundy has a kind of nonspecific Tommy Wiseau-style accent that I really enjoyed. <laughs> oh, hi, Mr. Boimler. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert i was absolutely staggered that this episode did not choose to depict boimler in the human drawing class in the nude i mean haven't we seen enough of boimler already <laughs> in the in the scene that broke the star trek internet from last season <laughs> i guess so yeah that, that wouldn't really be a heightening of the joke no Maybe they spent all remaining ordinance on that one scene. Yeah, it seems that way. A, a scene that continues to haunt my dreams. It's naked time! Oh, no, stop that, stop now! Lundy's not a character we've encountered before. I don't remember seeing him. It seems like Lundy has a reputation, and I wonder if more will be done with Lundy over the course of the season. I hope so. I mean, I'm like just as happy if not. Like, I think it's really funny to... <laughs> Just throw a character in like that and be like, oh, no, not Lundy. <laughs> I mean, it feels like you get to a size of workplace big enough, you're always going to run into a Lundy type who is not just socially awkward, but like leans into the awkwardness <laughs> as an expression of character. Did you ever watch Battlestar Galactica? No. No. Then you were an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Why are the socially awkward always the people recruiting for the life drawing class? You know, I was walking in from the employee parking lot. Who drives a hearse? <laughs> <laughs> I had a classmate in high school drive a hearse as his car. Fun. Did you have one of those? No. I feel like hearse kid was a type of kid, though. We had some, like, dark kids, but I wouldn't say we had any out-and-out -out goth kids at my high school. I feel like you're no longer goth if you drive a hearse. You're something else. It seems like... Nobody likes my car these days. <laughs> You've gone too deep. Yeah. 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 Well, down on the top of the space elevator, not all the way down on the planet. No. <laughs> but down on the top of the space elevator, Mariner is uh, wrenching under some panels and Ransom is using this opportunity to get some squats in, lifting a, a pipe section. Mariner's just really cheesed off that 
he put the wrong people on the wrong jobs. But uh, it seems like Billups and Rutherford are loving it based on their FaceTimes. Yeah. I love every time we glimpse what's happening on the surface with them. I do too. I mean, some mention made of the risk of Billups accidentally becoming king if he's not careful with what stays in and comes out of his pants. That's a very fun callback. But he does seem to be really enthusiastic about all the open mouth kissing that the Delanians do. Yeah, you can't become king from kissing. I guess not, yeah. And uh, Eaton ain't (laughs) becoming... Regent. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's just window shopping and occasionally <laughs> kissing the window. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, what a what a great place to spend Cure Away Mission, right? There's chaiselongs, there's, uh, there's shoulder rubs. Hey, this is their culture. It would be an insult not to participate. Yeah. Mariner, she sees what's happening. She sees how unfit for this mission they are up top. She's feeling the envy of wanting to be down on the surface, and she tries to manage up, right? But Ransom sees this as a chance to teach her some kind of lessons. Starfleet isn't all about being fed fruit by erotic aliens with slightly different nose ridges. Sometimes you gotta get your hands dirty. Are you clear on the lesson he's trying to teach, or is he just being stubborn? You know, he's like the drill instructor that wakes you up at 4 a.m. to go on a four-mile run with your backpack on. Well, he's the authority figure that can't be told he's wrong, either. It sucks for both of them, and she's making the case of, like, the engineers would have been done by now. Like, we would be back on the ship. Yeah. At the very worst. (laughs) Yeah, back at the Cerritos bar, Boyms tells Tandy that he's now a believer in the new Say Yes for Success philosophy. Yeah. Bold Boyms is out here doing stuff. And uh, this is a bar full of Delanians, but also other aliens that were stuck on this space elevator when uh, the thing malfunctioned. And one such alien uh, we see walking around in the background for a little while before he introduces himself to Boehm's as Cranch, a killer kind of predator style alien who is named after a bad condiment. Would either of you be willing to be hunted? Oh, it's not that bad. (laughs) Well, it's two bad condiments married to each other, so uh, how good could it be, Adam? Good enough for me. (laughs) This guy, as you say, comes from a hunter species that is also emphasizing how terrifying it must be to become their prey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he really puts it out on Maine, what he's about. He is huge. He towers over Boimler and uh, Boimler is in a real say yes to everything mode now that Bold Boims has come out. It's kind of like George Costanza's plan in Seinfeld, right? Of always choosing the opposite of what he would instinctually do. Today, I am a new Boimler. I will do the opposite. Right. Uh- <laughs> And it turns out that what Boimler has ordered for lunch has earned him a spot as Cranch's prey. I love a conversation where you get the predator cam POV of one side of it. (laughs) It's funny how there's so much about Tendi that seems naive in behavior or in attitude. But Tendi has the good sense not to say yes to becoming prey and does what (laughs) she can to convince Boimler out of this. But Boims is all in. Boims is all in. And Cranch pulls a tooth out of the front of his mouth and like anoints Boimler with his glowing green blood. 
and gives him an hour to prep for the hunt. And Boimler's like trying to finish his drink when uh, Tendi reminds him like, oh yeah, you're being hunted now, so you better clear out, bud. This is like that feeling of fight after school. Right, yeah. Uh, He's going to be nervous for this entire hour. But we cut down to uh, the space elevator where it seems like Ransom is now watching YouTube videos about how to fix the elevator. Something very familiar to me as somebody that isn't that handy but is trying to be. Yeah, I really love this reference. (laughs) Very familiar to me too. The diplomacy does not go well, Enterprise. Down on the surface, Billups and Rutherford are getting into some hot water with the locals for failing to bear midriff. (gasps) You dare enter the sacred home without an exposed navel? You gotta do that. What do they think they are, not Ortegas? When on Delaney, do as the Delaneyans. Yeah, they're telling Ransom, hey, listen, like, they are talking about maybe sacrificing us to some sort of sentient volcano. We'd really like for that not to happen. You know how to diplomacy. We do not. Can you please come down here and help us out? And he's like, no can do. I'm really trying to teach Mariner a lesson up here. Mariner just cannot believe this. But those are Ransom's orders, and that's that. Their technical task is nonspecific enough that Mariner can plausibly walk away and work on something in a different room and... uh, That's fortunate. Pretty clear that that's just her trying to get out from under his nose so she can go rouge. But back up on the ship, the hunt has begun. Boimler's like trying to beg Ranch off of... (laughs) Sorry, I said Ranch. I meant Cranch. I can't keep these bad condiments separate, Adam. They all look the same to me. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Another great food opinion by Benjamin R. Harrison. Mm, Yeah, I really want to dip my chicken wings in salad dressing. Num, num, num. It's all salad dressing. Every condiment can be a salad dressing, Ben. (laughs) How do you not know this? Mm, I would say that there are better salad dressings then, (laughs) if that's the case. You bring your own oil and vinegar in your uh, man purse? Uh Is that what you do? I just don't order something if it sounds like it's going to come with ranch. That's my philosophy. Wow, that is a massive no-fly zone. Just about anything at most restaurants seems like ranch would be an accompaniment. Yeah, I don't need it those types of places. Wow, those types. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) Careful, Ben. I don't want to get canceled by the fucking hordes of ranch enthusiasts out there. (laughs) Yeah, the ranch lobby is powerful in this country. If you like it, that's fine for you. Yeah. Adam is pro-ranch. He always gets ranch on our uh, cut vegetables and or crudite platters, depending on what we're calling them this week as this episode comes out. It's because it's very difficult to get a vegetable plate without one. I like hummus, personally. You hate ranch so much that you left that same vegetable plate just out in your <laughs> out in your office for weeks. I didn't know I had that. That <laughs> oh, was gross. All of the snacks that we had backstage at the uh, streaming Spectacular show. Which we weren't permitted to bring in. They wound up just like getting thrown in a pile of stuff that got brought back to my place. And I didn't know it was there. And so it went off because it was not refrigerated. And then Adam found it. Adam was the one that stuck his hand in the bag and discovered the horror show. <laughs> I withdrew my hand and it was like the book cover of A Million Little Pieces, except... <laughs> <laughs> Except those were just like tiny flies. What happened? Man, it happened when I reached for the bowl of fruit. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was like, uh, I don't know, looking down into a pit that Indiana Jones might fall into. Yeah, it's gross as hell. So Cranch does not grant Boimler any sort of take back on his yes. He describes the three different types of prey that there are. Like sort of a hunting philosophy is what he shares. And then the hunt begins with just a crazy chase through the corridors of the ship. It's a crazy chase that seems to ignore all of the innocent bystanders that could catch a bladed boomerang to the grill. It seems to be because of the great reputation that Cranch has with other members of the crew. They're like, that's just Cranch being Cranch. You know, he's quite the charmer. Yeah, you gotta love Cranch. Yeah. He's just gonna pull something that you thought might be part of his uniform out of his arm, revealing that it's actually part of his brady that is going to bleed, but it's also a weapon that he can throw. Yeah. Cranch is just full of surprises. Lots of creative weapons, but also parts of his own body that he is willing to rip off to hurt people with. Cranch knows not to jump into Matt and Kamalu's pool, unlike <laughs> Boimler. Boimler gets the dirty shoes down in there. Doesn't even have time to Phelps those arms when uh, he jumps in with the cetaceans. And they don't have time to say horny shit about Rutherford or anyone else. No, he's out of there. Yeah, Matt and Kamalu just blindsided by this whole situation. Boimler finds Freeman after this scene, and it's clear from Freeman that Cranch is one of her favorite passengers. Yeah, Cranch and Freeman at brunch. What do you think Cranch gets for brunch? Is there anything at brunch that anyone would put Cranch on? He seems like just a lot of breakfast sausage would be satisfying for him. Right. Except for he doesn't kill. Is Cranch a vegetarian? Vegan breakfast sausage. You're going to want to try the omelet and the bacon. And the waffle. <laughs> oh, yeah. People that like to go to Cracker Barrel hate Cranch. We need to score a lot of black fast. Top of the morning to you. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in below-the-kilt care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. 
and they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab and go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, there's a new ship. She's got the right man. She's got the right man. Now you remember that you hear. Now you remember that you hear. On the space elevator, Ransom is now receiving telemetry that the sacrifice is proceeding and Billups is actively being dragged up the side of this sentient volcano. And Rutherford is trying to explain like, yeah, like there's something to do with a telepathic baby and an ancient computer. Also, I'm not able to talk these guys out of killing Billups. And it seems like Ransom is trying to like give some sort of bullet point tips for diplomacy to a Rutherford who is a panicked and B not going to be able to use like quick and easy fixes for this situation. And Mariner overhears this and goes and gets herself a spacesuit and does one of those jumps out of space down the length of the space elevator moves that we saw in a Star Trek Into Darkness. Tell me this is going to work. I have neither the information nor the confidence to do so, Doctor. This is a really fun reveal of kind of the rules of the mission that Ransom had in mind. He was going to wait her out. Yeah. He was expecting Mariner to go rogue. And the longer she didn't, the more approval she received from Ransom. Like she was doing herself a favor in his eyes by not going rogue. And the moment that she chooses to, Ransom gets on the blower to tell her how proud he is of her. And (laughs) (laughs) which causes her to freak out and need to go back into the elevator to cover up what she's done. Yeah. She can't let him find out that she did in fact go rogue because... This is a win if if she didn't. She deploys her parachute 
and has to trudge back up the stairs to meet him on the space elevator back at the level that they were at. Yeah. She's fallen quite a quite a long way at this point. Yeah. Her climb back is a real odyssey. It's ladders <laughs> and it's rock wall and it's uh-huh. elevator. It's kind of a mixed media climb back up to where Ransom is. It takes so long that we have time to cut back down to Cranch's pursuit of Boimler, who takes refuge in the repair bay where the LDs always hang out. But he accidentally knocks over the iPad that has their Klingon Dungeons and Dragon game on it. And Martok screaming is not something that he knows how to mute quickly. And this reveals his position to Cranch. Yeah. And he's like, get out of here. There's guacamole in here. Cranch doesn't go with that. How does the guacamole not go off, by the way? Speaking of spoiling dip. I think in a perfect future aboard (laughs) this ship, what you've got is not unlike what they deploy in a brig Mm. or in an emergency when a part of the ship is being blown out into space. We're talking about force fields, Ben. And much like a uh, a sheet of plastic wrap that you can gather in around leftover guacamole. It's making perfect contact with the guac? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think you're using a force field to save the guac and keep it edible for a longer period of time. Maybe the force field drops the moment you push a chip into it. Permanent (laughs) guacamole force field. It's like when you uh, take a shuttle out of the bay, you see it go through that force field. The chip, there's a little blue glow around (laughs) Permanent guacamole force field is also my favorite Wilco album. I mean, very highly rated on Pitchfork. I didn't really get it, but I sure liked it. Wait a second. I have another question here. Go. Can you use guacamole as a salad dressing? Yes, I think so. (laughs) I would consider guacamole more of a salad than a condiment. You ever get the guacamole greens from that salad restaurant? Is it sweet green or... I don't know if I've ever been to, I've been to Tender Greens, but I haven't been to Sweet Greens. There's a thousand different salad restaurants and they all sound the same. I don't know which one I get it from, but guacamole <laughs> greens, I think, is my favorite salad there. And the guacamole is a big part of, of how it's dressed. Okay. All right. Is guacamole a condiment that's going to be the poll for this week's episode? <laughs> Take it away, Bill. Bill, 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 Bill. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. And I interrupted you, Adam. I feel bad. No, these were these were useful. Yeah, we're going to find out a lot about friend of Desoto opinions surrounding guacamole. I really like how Martok does two things in this scene. He gives away Boimler's position, but he also inspires Boimler with what he's saying. Yeah, the thing that he advocates for is uh, is not backing down. The Klingon way is to. Stand up for yourself. Stand up to whoever's hunting you. So we get a scene like straight out of a Rambo film where Boimler prepares for battle. Yeah. He was just supposed to take pictures and yet he's got that huge rifle and the yeah. camouflage face paint and uh, what looks like maybe the guacamole bowl on his head for a helmet. It's a hell of a combination. <laughs> You know what? You want to leave a little guacamole in there so that there's some adhesive properties to the bowl. Oh, right. I wonder, yeah, is guacamole good for hair? Seems like it could be, right? I don't know how I feel like we know this for sure, but I would almost guarantee that. (laughs) It seems like the right texture for being good for hair. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, head to podshop.biz right now, and for a limited time, you can buy Greatest Trek shampoo made out of 100% guacamole. It works. It's also great on chips. I feel like there's a non-zero chance that one morning you and I will go into our shower and find (laughs) that the wife has purchased guacamole shampoo or conditioner. Right. Which it kind of seems like it would make a better conditioner. I can't tell you why, but... Yeah, yeah. Taking a shower, you hear from the other room their displeasure at uh, having not returned the guacamole shampoo to the fridge where it needs to be kept. Yep. How are you heating it up in there and not returning that to the fridge? What's wrong with you? Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> so Boimler the Hunted has become a bold Boimler, and he confronts Cranch in the hallway and is kind of uh, spouting off this new worldview uh, for himself and getting ready to lick a shot at Cranch when, irony of ironies, Adam, he catches a spear. Does that mean he's going to be captain now? <laughs> he, he got the Vendome treatment. Yeah, he, he Vendomed himself. He talked himself all the way into Vendoming. Yeah. So Cranch approaches Boimler's wounded body, stands over him, and you think this is it, right? You think this is going to be the kill shot. Boimler can't get anywhere. He's pinned to the floor by this spear. It's a shot of a different kind, though, Ben. It's a selfie. Yeah. Cranch has a uh, like a weaponized selfie stick, if you will. All Cranch wanted was to prove that he won the hunt. His species are of the catch-and-release hunter variety. Yeah. He thinks it's really cute that the uh, hunted tried to become the hunter. And has some notes. He notes Boimler with a stick and move, which, uh, you know, anybody that's ever tried to become the hunter knows from experience. Right. It's just much, much harder to hit someone with a spear if they're sticking and moving. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. You could be forgiven for learning that the hard way, I suppose. Yeah. Vendome certainly did. Mariner has made it back up to Ransom's position, who has the great idea to skydive down to the surface. (laughs) And this is, I think, a low-key great achievement in animation, in Mariner's (laughs) expressions of fatigue and weary and like sweat and all that. Like the way that she's shot, you really feel for her. The just the right number of hairs that like look out of place and and frazzled. Yeah, I really love this scene for that reason. It's great work. I also love how oblivious Ransom is of everything, and especially how how fucked up Mariner is in this scene. There's a register that Jerry O'Connell's voice gets into when he's excited that I think is one of my favorite things that Ransom does. It's like his version of Boimler's scream. <laughs> it's hard to describe, but like when he really gets amped up for a thing, and you hear it in this scene when he's ready to go and when he's skydiving down. One thing I loved about the skydiving moment is that uh, it's become sunset. I love the the passage of timeness of this episode. Mariner catches a little nap on their way down, but then they touch down on top of the volcano, and it turns out that this society is in fact led by a sentient volcano, a telepathic baby, and an ancient supercomputer. That's their system of government. There's no judging it. It provides a system of checks and balances. Classic mashup. Rutherford and Billups are being like extended out over the pit with their midriffs bared and uh, 
little suns drawn on their bellies where their belly buttons are. This is a moment for Ransom to shine, literally. Mm. He sizes up the culture. And we know, because he said this before, that this is a culture that's focused on fitness as an essential value. Yeah. And by taking off his uniform top, he becomes practically a god to them. Your lava tubes are perfect. Yeah. His hard body saves the day. Yeah. And Billups doesn't die a virgin. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so so a big win all around. Yeah. I like how we kind of cut away mid-diplomacy here. Like Ransom takes off his shirt. He approaches in order to begin that diplomacy. But we don't need to hear any of this. We know how good he is at that. Anything that happens in an episode of this show that seems like it might start verging on being the A story of a real Star Trek series, they always like to cut away from. Kind of a callback to that season one episode, too, where Ransom was able to save the day with his diplomatic skills there. Right. He's good at it. Mm -hmm. We don't ever get to see it, though. No. The button on the episode is back in the repair bay with the gang, playing their game, and... You know, Mariner looking a little bit more optimistic. Boimler coming back from Six Bay with a repaired shoulder. He's feeling a little bit better. And old Boimler is out. He really appreciates Tendy pushing him into this new bold Boimler headspace. Except that bold Boimler gets him killed in the game. And that doesn't seem to <laughs> make him flinch at all. He is ready to be bold Boimler actual. Yeah. In or out of the game. And uh, that's the episode, Adam. Did you like this episode of Lower Decks? Yeah, I sure did. I mean, the math of it is very apparent once it's over, like using the game as an expression of character interests and traits. I like how this show demonstrates character growth. It's not a sweet, sincere, saccharine ending to a show where you're just glad everyone learned their lesson and they got a little bit better at what they do and how they do it. This isn't that kind of show. And the show rightly turns away from that as a conclusion. But as it ends, it suggests uh, a pretty interesting idea for Boimler going forward. Yeah, I would say it does for Mariner as well. And Did you get the sense that Mariner and Ransom were beginning a kind of romantic appreciation, like starting that back up again, because there is that scene where they share gratitude and approval for each other post-mission. But as soon as Mariner gets back with her friends, she shit talks Ransom again that felt very much like a person trying to cover up a crush. <laughs> I mean, Mariner has shit talked a lot of people, so we'd have to go back through the roles and... Yeah, she'd have a lot of crushes if that were the case. But she's also a pretty horny character, so I don't think that that's necessarily wrong. Maybe maybe she's interested. Yeah. In something casual, you know? It's so complicated when there are that many pips above you, but... Uh, yeah, that's a power imbalance. Got to be careful. What did you think, Ben? I really liked the episode as well. Uh, I'm always down with a, a space elevator storyline, always down with a justice-type storyline. My only wish was that we could have felt a little bit more connected to what was going on on the planet. Like, I like the device of just getting the snippets of the reports from the OA team, but uh, when a planet's that horny, I just feel like there's so much comedy down there on the surface that I want to see more of. The way they told this story really introduced a lot of tension by not giving us a ton to see. Like, our imagination was working that 
part of the story instead of actually living there in it. I would say that this show can get so much comedy out of a visual and a wide shot of that planet surface, I'm sure would have had 10 jokes in it, you know. But I also understand like that's probably super hard to animate if you are uh, looking at it from a budgetary perspective. So I don't know. That's what I wanted, but uh, you can't always get what you want. I want to say this before we move on. I don't think you can replace J.G. Hertzler as a voice actor on this show. No. He is incredible every time. He's so funny. I, yeah. I just love his work here. And I'm hoping for more of Martok, but just more of, of his voice work as the season continues. He's just a joy to listen to, I think. Looking forward to more of it. Uh, but right now, I'm also looking forward to reading some Priority One messages, Adam. Uh, which I look forward to not reading in the voice of J.G. Hertzler, an impression I couldn't possibly do <laughs> without uh, smoking like four cigars in a row and, uh, and screaming myself hoarse into a pillow first. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Well, our first priority one message here is from mom and it's to Stephanie. It goes like this. Happy birthday. Unlike Kern, I do remember being there. <laughs> Had a blast with you being possibly the only Alaskans in Seattle at the April show. You are amazing. You are a great mom. One presupposes that you will have many years explaining arcane Trek references from this podcast to coworkers and teachers alike. Hey, happy birthday from us also, Stephanie. Really glad you came to the Seattle show. That Seattle show was really big for us. Yeah, that was a, a big, big night and uh, a really fun one in particular. Thanks for coming down from, from Alaska. That's great. Yeah. Ben, our second priority one message is from Guy, and it is to Ben and Adam. That's us. Message goes like this. Congrats on your spectacular. I went on a romantic getaway with the love of my life this weekend, and during some downtime, I suggested we watch your show. <laughs> she knows I'm a fan, and she's a huge Star Trek fan herself, so let's hit it. <laughs> She made it about 10 minutes in before deciding to roll over to watch her aviation disaster documentaries. <laughs> wow. Guy. I can't blame her, Guy. I also love aviation disaster documentaries. But what my theory presupposes is that our live streaming spectacular was a form of aviation disaster documentary. Mm, mm. I think. Deep. Yeah. Guy, the love of your life has great taste in documentary types. Uh <laughs> And uh, and great tasted people, because uh, you got a P1, and we, we really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Uh, you can join Mom and Guy in supporting Greatest Trek by taking it on over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where the P1s go a long way in supporting the production of our show. They sure do. Hey, Ben? What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? I'm going to give it to Sentient Volcano. I just think it's like such a mistake to share power with Psychic Baby and uh, Ancient Computer, you know? And it seemed like the evil computer like really had all the control over everything because the, the logo on the evil computer was what everybody was painting on their baddies. How many warnings about evil computers do we need before we stop building them? Yeah, is that evil computer going to wind up at the Daystrom Institute in that room full of other evil computers at some point? Seems that way. I hope no one puts arms and legs on the evil computer. 
because you know where they're headed next, to eat old people's medicine. I don't even know why the scientists make them. It'd be great to get some sort of insurance against that kind of disaster, Adam. Did you have an Edward Larkin? Ben, I personally feel like it would be greatest Trek malpractice to not make the Edward Larkin Boimler, Mm. who is acting against his own interests the entire time. Uh, A real chaos agent, as Boimler often is, somehow manages to survive not because of his own wherewithal, but because of the mercy culture of Cranch. (laughs) Sure. So I'm going to say mine is Boimler this time. Good Larkin, Adam. Uh, well, this is, uh, this gets us toward the end of our episode and, uh, our new segment, our new smash hit segment here on Greatest Trek is checking in over on the social media feeds at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter to see what folks are saying about the show. We're digging up some old ones because we're pre-recording a bunch of episodes of Greatest Trek before we start releasing them. But this one from at Crunky TTV is from uh, July on Twitter. And uh, I really took some some heart mm. from this. I don't care what other friends of DeSoto think. I love the Larkin Awards. Peak campy Trek comedy by hashtag Greatest Trek. Hey, thanks, Crunky. Crunky, I really appreciate that. I... Did not know anyone had any problems with the Larkin Awards until people started coming out of the woodwork to say that they supported it and didn't think they were bad. (laughs) I thought it was universally beloved. I think that we made some jokes that it was not universally beloved on the show and people got worried that, that, uh, that we'd been getting dragged for it. I've been doing such a good job of avoiding Reddit. I just didn't want to accidentally click on to a thread that was like, the Larkin Awards suck. They need to stop doing them. It's lame as hell. To my knowledge, the Strange New Larkin Awards only ever got great reviews. Hell yeah. It was a great show. And it was produced amazingly. Like, what a terrible lift that was for Wendy. And she fucking knocked it out of the park. Absolutely great job with that. It's a mess to record something like that when you listen to it and it's all put together nice. It's like, I can't believe this worked. Yeah. Well, if you'd like to uh, get a message on the show, tweet about Greatest Trek or make an Instagram post about it and tell people why you like the show or, uh, you know, ask us a question or recommend it in an interesting and creative way. And uh, maybe we will read your post here on an upcoming episode. Thanks, gang. Peace. Thanks, nerds! (laughs) Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica. It's produced by Wendy Pretty, and this week's show was edited by Rob Adler. Coming up on Lower Decks, it's Season 3, Episode 3, Mining the Mind's Minds. On a remote science outpost, stone orbs are bringing fantasies to life. And Tendi starts her first day as a senior science officer trainee. We want to thank Adam Ragusia, who composed all the theme and interstitial music for the show. And as always, a big thanks to the car daddy himself, Bill Tilly, who runs all of our social media accounts. Make sure you're following at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter, and use the hashtag Greatest Trek to talk about the show online. To help support the show, don't forget to rate, review, and recommend the show to a friend. And you can look into becoming a member of Maximum Fun at MaximumFun.org join. Also, if you'd like to have a Priority One message featured on the show, just go to MaximumFun.org Jumbotron. 
Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.